We have uh, been created on purpose and for a purpose. And that purpose, Jesus said, can be summarized simply as loving God and loving others. From the moment we're born till the day we pass from this life to the next, everything we do, everything we think, everything we feel is for the purpose of loving God and loving others. Our most significant challenge to fulfilling that purpose, however, is what? Ourselves. Jesus said, to truly live, one must die. And that death is to self, allowing us with God's life and power to fulfill the purpose that he has called us to do. Besides our primary purpose... We're also each given assignments by God that give us opportunities to fulfill our purpose. Romans 8.29, the Apostle Paul says, From the very beginning, God decided to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. And in Jesus, we see the original and intended shape of our lives. All of us were born into a family. We have three grandchildren these days, Claire and I. More on the way someday, I'm sure. And uh, they are a blast. And they have been born into a family. Sebastian, who's visiting with Tabitha and, and Matt from Houston, you know, knows me a little bit, uh, but not as much. But he welcomed me this morning into his family. And uh, he reached out to numerous ones of you as well. And that's what family is like. That is our first assignment, is the family that God has given to us. Secondly, as followers of Christ, we're also born into a spiritual family, which is experienced in a local church. That's our second assignment. But every follower of Christ also has been given the assignment of loving those outside the church leading them into a restored relationship with God and a connected relationship in the spiritual family of a local church. And that, as you'll hear from Clara next week, is our mission. Three assignments. Our family, our church family, and those who are not yet in church. And to accomplish these assignments, God has uniquely shaped each of us. And that shape includes both our physical body, but six other elements. Spiritual gifts, our heart or passion, abilities, personality, experiences, and a sphere of influence. We can be most effective in fulfilling our God-given assignments when we know, understand, and develop our shape. God formed every single creature on this planet with a special area of expertise. Some animals run, some hop, some swim, some burrow, some fly, some bite. Not quite sure why, but that's what they do. Each has a particular role to play based on the way that God has shaped them. One of my daughters, I think, has suggested that she thought mosquitoes uh, in heaven will be, uh, you know, kind of tingling massage to make us feel good, right? All those little, yeah, anyway, I don't know. Well, the same is true for human beings. Each of us was uniquely designed or shaped to do certain things. The Bible says we are God's workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Our English word poem comes from the Greek word translated here, workmanship. You and I are handicraft works of art. We are not assembly line products, mass produced without any difference between one and another. Each of us has been custom designed, one of a kind, an original masterpiece. In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, I am God's masterpiece. Come on, do it. Say, let's say it together now. I am God's masterpiece. Now, we don't all agree with that. And that's one of the things we're going to address this morning. Just as God has uniquely shaped us physically, so God has shaped us for a unique life purpose. Before we head to talk about that more, let's pause and welcome God. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for the privilege that you have provided us to know and understand our purpose, to not uh, give ourselves in life simply as uh, meaninglessness, walking through, making the, doing the motions, but that every moment of our lives, everything we do, every thought we think, every relationship we have, can fulfill our purpose of loving you and loving others. I welcome you. Lead and guide us this morning. May these comments be helpful. Might we walk through these uh, days of purpose with a greater and a clearer understanding of our purpose, our assignments, and the shape that you have created us to fulfill those. Father, for our guests that are here this morning, I I just pray that you would meet them very clearly. That they would encounter and meet you today. We exist first and above all for relationship with you. Lord, accomplish that for us. Let us realize it, grasp it, understand it, and live with it. In Jesus' name, amen. So there are six specific elements that God has placed in our lives that equip us, not for necessarily for the things we hate, but the things that we love. The opportunities to express passions, abilities. Let's talk through those just briefly. First of all, spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are supernaturally endowed power and abilities that are given by God to Christians to aid us in helping and loving others. We're not born with these. They're not learned, and we don't earn them. They're not marks of maturity. They are endowed, given to us for specific ministry expression and, as well, given spontaneously by God for a specific need at a specific moment. Over our lifetime, we will potentially receive and experience many, if not most, of the spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are God's presence to needy people, but given through others. Now, here in the vineyard, 
we talk about four elements that are connected to spiritual gifts. Um, we talk about gifts being a little different than some in the church. Um, many times when people in other traditions will speak of spiritual gifts, they'll, think, they'll speak of something that we own, that we control, that we can use, a little bit like, you know, I'm a carpenter, I have a hammer, I keep it on my belt, and I know how to use it. Instead, we would describe and suggest that there are four characteristics connected, the first being a role. The fact that all of us are called to express the role of being a Christian as well as the role of many of these spiritual gifts. Many of them are things that we are called simply to do without endowment, without uh, significant empowerment. We simply go to do it, such as to be hospitable. It's appropriate to be hospitable to others. It's appropriate to share our faith with others. It's a part of God's calling that we would be loving and kind. These are elements that are part of our role. But one of the cool things that we have experienced, that I have experienced, is that while we are doing that, often we experience what we call a spiritual gift. The empowerment, the endowment of God for that item. It may not be our gift, but it may be an opportunity to express God's love in a certain way and lo and behold, it's needed and we do it. We would call that a gift, God's empowerment. But thirdly, we would also describe and talk about having a ministry, having the, uh, an expression of a spiritual gift often, more frequently. Um, we can see it. It is something recognizable. And at some level, that might be what um, we would parallel to having the gift of. We might, someone might have a ministry of the expression of worship, of art, craftsmanship and so we see it and it's frequent in in their lives and then uh, fourthly we talk about the office someone who has a a recognized um, uh, calling by God to equip and train the church in that gift expression Um, so someone who is a teacher might be gifted empowered for the ministry of teaching might have the ability to train others Uh, in the use of an expression of that gift. Somebody with a gift or empowerment for uh, evangelism who has a ministry of that, God may give and uh, present an opportunity for the calling and destiny of equipping others with it. So we talk about spiritual gifts a little bit differently. Spiritual gifts are things, as I've just described, like teaching or faith, healing, leadership, mercy, hospitality, craftsmanship, artistry, giving, and more. Spiritual gifts, however, are not gifts for us. They're not presents that we receive. They are empowerments that are given to us to give to others. And it's been described that we're like the postman or the FedEx man. Can't be like the DHL guy because he's not around anymore. Um, We're not the givers of the gift. We're not the givers of the letter or of the package. We're simply the delivery person. In a similar way, relative to these endowments, these spiritual gifts, God gives them to us to give away to others. Now, we get blessed. It's fun giving presents to other people. And um, so that is kind of how that works. God delivers what someone else needs. That's spiritual gifts. That's a first element. And it is an area, an arena, where we need to be trained. We need to understand. We need to be equipped to understand what's happening. 
I know that for myself, um, as I entered into the vineyard, the teaching on spiritual gifts was more heightened uh, in our environment. And as a result of that, I began to learn about spiritual gifts and was able to identify that throughout much of my teenage years and even into my 20s prior to having become involved, I was expressing spiritual gifts, but I didn't know it. I wasn't aware, I didn't know what they were, but they were still happening. God was still at work, whether I knew about them or not. But once I understood them better, I had an ability to partner more with God. Oh, that's what's happening right now. And to be able to express that in a way that best helps others. Spiritual gifts. God has shaped us with them. Secondly, God has given each of us a heart. Heart is our motivation. It's our interest. It's our passion. It's what we really believe in and love doing. Have you ever noticed that some things really interest you, but other things are just a bore? Some of you like this idea of doing skits and of acting. Others of you wouldn't get up here if we paid you. Are you aware that every single human being has a unique heartbeat? Just as each of us have unique fingerprints, eye prints, voice patterns, our hearts as well beat slightly different patterns. Out of the billions of people who have ever lived or who will live, no one has a heartbeat exactly like yours. In the same way, God has given each of us a unique emotional heartbeat that races when we think about the subjects or activities or people that we're passionate about. Every one of us has a heightened care and concern about some things, but not about other things. And those identifications, those passions, those things that really excite us are a part of the clues that help us to identify where we should be serving. In the skit, we just talked about uh, the whole concept of you know, service being duty, service being something we have to do, it has to hurt. And yet we saw in that this opportunity to be able to express something that this person was passionate about. And that's what we desire for each of us. Now, we can't always do that all the time, but it is the heart of where we want to go with this. People sometimes say, I just love children. Some people say, I hate kids, right? Some people say, I really have a heart for the poor. Others wouldn't want to have anything to do with it. What I really want to do is help people understand more about the Bible. Or I just love opening up my home to people. Or I just love helping people. Those are the kinds of things that emanate from our heart. And God has placed those different emotional heartbeats in each of us so that all he wants to get done in the world will be get done. And we need your heart and your passion here in this church so that all that God wants to do in this church and through us in this city and into the world can get done. So God has equipped and given spiritual gifts. He also has been at work impassioning you, giving you a heart and a desire for certain things. Thirdly, there's the element of abilities. All of us have a variety of abilities. We have natural abilities. Someone might have a musical ability. They might have creativity. There might be mechanical ability. Some people easily are able to relate to people. Some have strong organizational savvy. Some of you have great athletic ability. Some are rather uncoordinated, however. 
Some people have great voices and can sing beautifully. Others, however, are prison singers. They're always behind a few bars and never have the right key. (laughs) We also have learned skills, like the ability to play an instrument. Someone might have a, a natural ability with music. Many of you do. My daughter Mercy seems to be one that just has an excessive natural ability but she didn't know how to play the drums or the congas or guitar or bass or sing or what else did she do? Uh, piano. She, she, those, she wasn't born with those things, but she was born with that natural ability, but she has learned the skills of those various things and are now offering them to God and us as a part of his church. Some people have the ability to do interior decorating, to match colors, the ability to work on an engine. I, I My family and the Boozer family just recently bought a ski boat, a 1980 uh, ski boat. And uh, we bought it so that we can have the opportunity with our last couple of daughters to be able to uh, have time together, invite their friends over. And um, as a part of that, we needed to work on the engine. And when I was in my 20s, I could do engine work. But that's long been gone at 51. But Daniel, on the other hand, my son-in-law, has that ability to just rip that thing off, tear it into shreds, little pins and springs, and these all spread out all over his workbench. He orders a little kit, and of course there's instructions, but they're laid aside. And he puts the whole thing back together, and one little thing doesn't work, and he looks at the instructions and goes, oh, okay, pulls that apart, puts it back. That's an incredible ability. That's both natural And it's trained. His father spent days and hours and hours and weeks and years training Daniel in the area of mechanics and carpentry. Some of you have the ability to do counseling. You've learned to be able to express that kind of care. Some people have the ability to do accounting or consulting. We all have different kinds and combinations of abilities. Our abilities are also a part of our shape. And God wants us to use those abilities to benefit others. Fourthly is personality. Now, personality is something that uh, I think we wrestle with uh, some. Um, I remember when we first talked about personality with our leadership team a number of years ago, and and, uh, what I heard was, you know, I don't want to be put in a box. I I don't want to do an assessment that says I'm this because I want the freedom. And that isn't how we understand them. All of us are unique in our personality makeup. And some of our personalities are very unique. God loves variety. Just look around you. There's all kinds of variety in the world among us. Personality is the organized pattern of behavioral characteristics of an individual. We might describe the personality as having an an orientation. Here, let's do a little quiz can speak up. Do you like, when you go swimming, let's say at the river or wherever, do you like to plunge right in or do you test the water and wade in slowly? How many plungers do we have out there? Okay, we got a few plungers. How many like to, you know, really wade in slowly? Okay. Well, typically, too, waders tend to marry plungers. Just <laughs> ask your spouse later. You'll find out. Okay. How many of you would say, I love to be organized? Yeah, would love to be. 
Yes. How many of you are very organized? Let's try that. Okay, we still got a few hands up. Okay. How many of you would say organization cramps my style? A few of you. I remember, I remember uh, years ago, uh, one of my bosses, uh, an incredible man, a Christian man, I really enjoyed, learned a lot uh, while working for him. Uh, he was a stacker. Uh, in his office, he had a very large desk, a large credenza, and a pretty large room. He, and, and he had stacks. We're talking about stacks, two-foot-tall stacks, all over his desk, his credenza, on the floor, around the walls. But here was the incredible, and I, I, I disdained him. I thought, my gosh, that's incredible. But you know what? That man could find paper better than I could. I don't have a clue how, but he was able to manage that. I didn't call it organization, but he probably has more organizational skill than I do to be able to do that. How many of you would say, I like routine? I like things to you know, stay the same. Okay. How many of you like variety? You want things to change. Okay, see, there's varieties of differences. This is that personality. It's an orientation. Some, you know, some might call it sort of a niche. Or, uh, but, but the issue is not so much that we're in a box, but that we learn to identify what's that basic orientation that we tend towards. And then, as we learn and identify that, to be able in certain situations and applications when something else is needed to be able to express another kind of personality, another kind of presentation. You know, these differences are not right and wrong approaches, though most of us will often say that we feel our way is the right way. These are unique characteristics intended by God to put together with all of these variety of elements of our shape to help us to help others. This is one of the cutest stories uh, relative to personalities. When we were first introduced to this, um, it was here in town. Somebody gave us a, an audio tape on personalities, particularly the DISC personality assessment, which we, is the tool we use in our church. And uh, Mercy, our youngest daughter, was two-ish. And we all know what that period of time is called, the T2s, right? won't say the word. And... Um, don't say the word. <laughs> Terrific twos. Yes, that's exactly what it was. Anyway, we're listening to this audio tape. I remember we were driving down to uh, visit a friend's house out, out of town, south of uh, San Antonio. We were listening to this audio tape. It was absolutely hilarious. It was an educator speaking to a group of teachers. And his illustrations for the distinctions and differences of the personality came out of the classroom. They're absolutely hilarious. I, to this day, I think that is probably the funniest um, thing I've ever heard in my life. I mean, the guy was a stand-up comedian, but around this topic. Well, anyway, uh, four different personality types uh, that we use and talk about in the disc are uh, a dominant uh, type person. Uh, I, I should have made my little list of all the words. Uh, inspirational. There's all kinds of wonderful things that they are. D-I-S-C. I is inspirational. S is sensitive, servant. And then D, uh, C is cautious, calculating. Okay, anyway. Well, when he was describing the D personality on this audio tape, Claire and I looked at each other and said, that's mercy. 
And up to that point, we hadn't seen or had a child with a D personality. Now, we've had, Joy has grown into that much more. As an eldest, sometimes they tend to emulate those kinds of personalities. But it was just, I mean, this guy was describing children. So it was just really, really clear. And one of the things he said in the tape was, one of the things that that D personality needs is choices. When you tell them, do this, there's this reservation because they want to be in control. We heard it and we thought, this, this is going to be cool. So at the dinner table then, you know, we've got, she's in her uh, terrific twos, and she's got, you know, the mashed potatoes and the peas and the carrots and the meat, you know. And she's not eating well like, you know, two-year-olds, you want them to eat more or whatever. And, and so we resolve, okay, you can either finish your green beans or your mashed potatoes. You get to choose. She was happy camper. Worked great. Didn't want to eat any of that. We said, okay, you can finish, you can eat that, or you can go to your room. She had a choice. She was in control. She chose to eat her dinner. It was great. (laughs) So, Clara and she and Priscilla are at the store. Walmart, I'm sure. Might have been H-E-B back then. And they're in the checkout line. And you know in the checkout line there's all that stuff. Right at eye, children's eye level, even the, the terrific twos. There's stuff down there for them. And so Mercy looks up at Clara and says, Mommy, you have a choice. You can buy me a pack of gum or a candy bar. You get to choose. It's great. It is really the funniest, funniest thing that, that we ever experienced relative to personality. Personalities are great. And, and what we tend to say, and I, I start, I began and suggested that, but if we understand our basic orientation or bent, um, and we're in a situation or a setting that requires something different than that, then we can lower our primary orientation and heighten one of the other elements that's needed. And so anyway, um, that's something that we've learned. So the personality, all of these assessments, Uh, and ways to look at who we are 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 not to put us in a box. They're to understand and to better care for and love God and others. So that's personalities. The fifth one is experiences. Each of us have grown up in different families and cities, states, countries, uh, different times, different periods in the world's history. We've all experienced a wide range of experiences that have influenced us, that have trained us, impacted us, that have made us unique and different. Juan and Donna, two very, very good friends of ours as well as leaders in the church, even in their home country, when you hear the story of their lives, though they're both from Panama, they both grew up in two very different environments, different than me, different than you. All of those elements are a part of our experiences of forming us and enabling us to be able to express love and care to others better. There's a variety of kinds of experiences, and when we consider our experiences, when we think back so that we can learn and better understand from them, first of all, there are relational experiences, relationships that we have with family, friends, enemies, difficult people, easygoing relationships at work, relationships in school, all of those form us. They shape us. They enable us to be able to express something different. Then there's educational experiences, things like schools, seminars, books, church, 
There's vocational experiences. You know, I, I still find it incredible to think, you know, as people are polled, that the majority of people who graduate from college aren't in their field. That's the, the norm is that we're not in our field. However, is that educational worthless? Absolutely not. Uh, as you'll hear in a moment, my, uh, when I entered college, my goal was to become a third grade teacher. And that was my education around that in, uh, in college. But I never taught third grade school. In fact, even when we had homeschooled children, I didn't do that. Clara did. She was the biblical studies major with a Greek minor. So even our experiences, though they may seem like they're going to orient us in a certain way, it all varies. There are spiritual experiences that happen in church or camps or retreats. There's things in books or encounters with God that happen throughout of our lives. And then, of course, there are painful experiences. There's parents' divorce. There's other failures. There's harm and hurt that's done to us. There's our own personal failures. But God has allowed all of these different kinds of experiences to form and shape us into the kind of people that can love, empathize, and care for others. Uniquely created people that need God. Now, my theological orientation is not that God causes those things. The world generates enough pain. People generate enough hurt and harm to others. We generate enough difficulties on our own that we don't need God doing it for us. Instead, what the Bible says is that God is able to bring good through each and every circumstance we face, good or bad. God is not the causer. Yes, somehow there's this big sovereign picture of the allowance of God. And we can't always understand exactly how it works. But we can be confident of this. That God loves us, that he's for us, and that he's desirous of good to come through our lives. The uh, Boozer family, Jamie and, and um, Patsy, two good friends of ours, lost two children uh, in early years to immune deficiencies. Spent years raising one child, working with them, millions of dollars probably, at least hundreds of thousands of dollars. They had, they had uh, military uh, medical at the time, so that was very helpful. But they lost uh, their son. Then they had a daughter. Same condition. Years of care, hospitals, one end of the country to another. And then they lost her as well. In the process of losing her, they came to Christ. In fact, she led them to Christ. Ask them their story sometime. It's powerful. But as a result of those tragic experiences, they have tremendous ability and empathy to care for others in their losses. That's what God intends. That's how he wants our experiences to influence our lives for good and for the good of others. And then lastly, S stands for sphere of influence. Um, this isn't one that is often reflected. It's not reflected in the uh, Purpose Driven Life book or materials, but it's one that I was instructed in back in seminary, and it's one that I believe uh, does play a part as these other elements do. There's two kinds of influence that we can express in life. The first is direct influence. That occurs with those who are being influenced by the actual presence of the influencer. Uh, direct influence occurs in very focused, structured situations where 
feedback is possible uh, between the one who's influenced and the influencer. And this is a direct influence situation. I am having the opportunity to influence you with my understandings of Scripture and what I sense God wants for us as a local church. And you have that ability and opportunity to respond, to share, to interact. Few of you do that, some of you do, and I'm a better person for it, and I would hope so is the one who shares as we wrestle together through these kinds of things. But direct influence isn't the only kind of influence that happens in our world. There's also indirect influence. This occurs with those who are being influenced by non-time-bound and non-present influences, things like through others. So I share something, you hear something in the material this morning, you read something in a book, and you share that with someone else. That influence then is indirect to that person, but it's still an influence that's happening. Don't have much control over that kind of influence, but it's legitimate, it is possible. It happens through media, it happens through writing and other kinds of means. Indirect, in, in, excuse me, in indirect influence, the influencer is not physically present to the one influenced. And feedback is difficult. It is probably even impossible in most situations. Uh, some examples of relational influence, uh, a direct kind might be parents with their children, teachers with their pupils, coaches with athletes they coach, supervisors with employees, leaders with those they lead. Some indirect kinds of influence might be parents with their children's friends. Uh, you know, I've, you know, there's these school stories of you know, parents' influence coming out and through their kids, you know, uh, what, in whatever means that can be. Indirect happens as well through authors, through film writers, producers, uh, athletes, coaches, actors, and actresses. All of those kinds of people in our world today have significant influence. They impact our society for good or evil, but their indirect influence is a part of our culture. There are historical, both current as well as those who are past and gone, who influence without personal involvement or even, even without the knowledge of those that they're influencing. So a historical person reading their biography, learning about them, reading one of their books can influence us significantly. And they will have had an indirect influence. Now there's three measurements of the degree of influence. And I share this with you because it's not in the book. Um, and it's expanded material that I hope will help you. When we think of influence, whether we're a parent, whether we're a small group leader, whether we're a boss at work, supervisor, there's three different kinds of degrees of influence. Firstly, there's extensiveness, which refers to quantity, how many people are influenced. That one's pretty easy to measure. We could count the number of people in this room, and we could say that this, on this particular day, I had uh, the ability and opportunity to influence this many people. Now, then there's the indirect of those who might hear comments from you to others, and then there might be the opportunity for some to listen, to download the message which we put online for our folks to be able to hear. So there would be some potential indirect. So I can't count those. I can count those that I have direct influence with. That's the easiest one. However, there's also comprehensiveness, which speaks of scope. What's the breadth of influence? How far does it reach? 
And then thirdly would be intensiveness, which refers to the depth to which influence extends. What's the depth of influence? So while I may have direct influence here with each one of you in this room, the extensiveness, the comprehensiveness, the intensiveness are all going to be different. Some of you tuned me out a long time ago. You heard me start to initiate comments. Maybe you read a couple of the sentences from the book that I included in the talk this morning. And you thought, okay, I've heard all this before. Some of you have been with me for a long time, and I taught this material back in like 2000. And perhaps at that point, um, you know, I've heard all this. I don't need this again. So you've tuned me out, and so there is no intensity. There's no depth. Some of you have or have heard this material before. You're hearing it again. And you're understanding something more. There's a depth of influence now that's happening that was different than the first time. So as I said, extensiveness is the easiest degree of influence to measure and hence is most often used and implied when people talk about a person's sphere of influence. How many people do they influence? Usually speaking of quantity. However, while comprehensiveness and intensiveness are harder to measure, they're probably the more significant. How deeply are we influenced is probably significantly more important than how many people I had an opportunity to talk to, right? A professor may teach a number of university classes with large number of students in each. Over their lifetime, that professor may influence thousands, perhaps tens of thousands of students, but at what level? A person sitting in such a class may be very little influenced, except to attend class, if they want, Uh, read their books if they like, complete their assignments and take the exams if they care. Years later, maybe days later, the influence of that professor has become nil. Comprehensiveness and intensiveness are hard to measure. And they may take place without a person's even awareness of what's happening. A boy's second grade Sunday school teacher may have two to seven boys in a class. Over a few years that they might teach, that Sunday school teacher may influence a dozen kids, a few dozen, less than hundred. But if a few to many of those boys gained an understanding of the loving God who sent his only son to die on the cross for their sins, then the extent or depth of that man's influence will have a lifetime, in fact, even an eternal impact. A parent may have no greater influence than to have been a mother or father raising and influencing his or her children. However, some parents have the unique destiny to be the parent of a child who will become a significantly influential person. John Wesley was an incredible man used of God in the late 1700s, early 1800s, I think. And his mother is known to have had a significant influence that was a part of leading that man to the influence that he then had throughout the world. John Wimber, founder of The Vineyard, a man of tremendous international uh, influence over the years, was raised by a mother and father. It was a challenging childhood when you hear his story, but they still had that effect. How about the parents of Adolf Hitler? We all have the opportunity to influence, small to large. To what degree are we aware of that influence? To what degree are we partnering with God 
to see that influence be used for good. Think with me for a moment of some biblical examples of influence. Throughout the Bible, we're told about the lives of men and women and the influence they had. Think about the incredible influence Adam and Eve had of, uh, over all of humankind. Pretty significant influence. Joseph from the Old Testament, as well as Daniel, influenced empires. Rahab and Ruth, two women outside of the people of God, are named in the bloodline of Jesus Christ. The demoniac from whom Jesus cast a thousand demons became an evangelist to his people. The apostles, all common men except Paul, changed the course of history. Our sphere of influence will probably not be like any of those. But we never know exactly what it will be like. Our children may be our only influence, someone that we can influence. Maybe a few friends, some family members. Maybe there's some neighbors that will have an opportunity to influence. Maybe we'll be a part of a team leading a church community group. We may have influence over a dozen or so. A few fellow employees, we may have the opportunity. Maybe it's a company. Maybe we're the president of companies. Maybe our influence will be that to a church or to a group of churches. It might be a national, even international business or ministry. We never know exactly where our influence is going to go, but we can identify where it's been, where we are, and where God might be taking us. Sphere of influence is something that we can identify. It is something that we can learn and grow with and grow into, but it cannot be demanded. Sphere of influence is earned and given. It cannot be taken. If we attempt to operate outside of our delegated sphere of influence, we'll often experience decreased effectiveness story I heard uh, decades ago, back when Claire and I were in college and then later when we went to seminary at Fuller, our intention and plan was to go into full-time missions work overseas. As I was a student uh, at Fuller at that time uh, in numerous leadership courses, I had um, one time the opportunity to be in the library looking for some research material, ran across an article that was talking about leadership on the mission field. And it described how the tendency for most mission organizations, this is 1980, 81 probably when I was reading this article, so the 70s and 60s, the the typical leadership of the mission field came from missionaries who had been effective in what they were doing, caring for the needs of others, expressing the gospel, teaching the word of God. When they're were successful in that, they were elevated into administrative roles to oversee other missionaries. While I'm sure here and there that worked, in many cases it did not. Their sphere of influence that God had delegated that was effective at this one level was not expressed well at this other. And missionaries were going home as failures because of that loss. And it was that article that stirred me to consider the possibility of actually training 
for missions administration rather than as an evangelist or a Bible teacher. The prayer of Jabez teaches that we can pray for our territory, our sphere of influence to be increased, but it is primarily in the hands of God. Expansions of our sphere of influences usually come with tests of our faith. We hear God asking us to step up, to move on. The the call to plant this church in 1994 was God's words to me when at the time I was an associate pastor in a vineyard church. God said, Randy, are you willing to be a senior pastor? Are you willing to plant a church? That was a significant test. It was an opportunity, but it was also a test. God wants us to be able to discover our spiritual shape. God wants us to be able to look at and examine our past, to experiment in the present. God wants us to look at elements and circumstances and situations in our lives from the past that we can learn from, that we can be able to look ahead, to be able to to identify where can we go with this, to begin to see these experiences happening. Galatians 3.4 says, You have experienced many things. Were all those experiences wasted? I hope not. God is wanting us to discover our spiritual shapes. Secondly, God wants us to accept our spiritual shape. Many of us are denying the fact that God has made us this way We don't like the way we are, the way we've been created. We tend to compare ourselves to others. We conform to others in the way they do things. And as a result, we become a a robot, a picture of someone else, not who God created us to be. Sometimes we say things like, I wish I could decorate my home like she does. I wish I could play guitar like he does. If only I could hear God like she does. If only I could understand the Bible like he does. We compare ourselves, and as a result, we lose the effectiveness of who God's created us to be. Romans 9.20 says, Who are you, a human being, to criticize God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who made it, Why have you made me like this? God does not want us to compare or to conform. Another thing that God wants us to do with our spiritual shape is to learn to enjoy it. Ephesians 5, 19 and 20 says, To enjoy your work and accept your lot in life, that is indeed a gift from God. Excuse me, Ecclesiastes. Did I say Ephesians? My, I, my glasses didn't hit right. Ecclesiastes 5, 19 and 20. To enjoy your work and accept your lot in life, that is indeed a gift from God. People who do this rarely look with sorrow on the past, for God has given them reasons for joy. I remember many, many, many years ago uh, seeing the movie Chariots of Fire. In there, the main character, Eric Little, was uh, described his process of becoming a missionary. And he said this about his life, God made me for a purpose for China, and he also made me fast. And I feel God's pleasure when I run. Eric Little, uh, uh, not performed. What do you do in a 
competed. Thank you. He competed in the Olympics and won his event. A lot around that story. Still a fun story to read. God is wanting us to enjoy our spiritual gifts, to not buck him, to not argue with him, but to say, yes, Lord, to welcome how he has created us and what he longs for us to be. Philippians 2.13 says, It is God who is at work within you, energizing and creating in you the power and the desire to will and to work for his good pleasure, satisfaction, and delight. There's three very, very powerful benefits when we are fulfilling our assignments through the expression of our spiritual shape. We're energized. We have energy for what we're doing. Again, back to the skit. Gentleman didn't want to be with kids because he'd kill them. He was not energized by that. He was terrorized by that. But when asked about the possibility of helping with a construction project, he was energized by that. Another benefit is we gain confidence. When we're in an arena, in an area of strength, we have a greater confidence. We have a greater ability to be able to be effective. We don't face failure as significantly. Failure, learning experience, right? And then another element that we get when we are expressing our spiritual shape is satisfaction. When we live out our shape, we will know meaning and fulfillment. We'll experience ultimate satisfaction. Many people are looking in all the wrong places for satisfaction, and they're never going to find it there. But we can find it when we're expressing our life according to the calling, the destiny, and the shape that God has created us for. And once we discover and accept our shape, God wants us to develop it, to work with it, to recognize it, to identify, to partner with him in it. The Apostle Paul said, keep using the gift God gave you and let it grow as a small flame grows into a fire. Peter said, God has given each of you special abilities. Be sure to use them to help each other, passing on to others God's many kinds of blessings. Spiritual gifts. What am I gifted to do? Each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, ministry. Another has that. One expresses this at one time and another that. We also have a heart. What do I love to do? God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose. For it is God who works in you, inspiring both the will and the deed for his own chosen purpose. Abilities. What natural and learned talents and skills do I have? There are different abilities to perform service. I, God, have given them skill, ability, knowledge, and all kinds of crafts. Our competence comes from God. We each have a unique personality. Where does my personality best suit me to serve? 1 Corinthians 2.11 No one can really know what anyone else is thinking or what he really is like except that person. God has called us to express who we are. And then experiences... Relational experiences, educational experiences, vocational experiences, spiritual experiences, painful ones, and then sphere of influence. Whom has God given me to influence? Consider well how God has made you. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given us. 
The Apostle Paul said, keep using the gift God gave you. Let it grow. Peter said, God has given each of us special abilities. Be sure to use them to help each other, passing on to others God's many kinds of blessings. How has God shaped me? In the back of the auditorium, on the back table, you're going to find um, a number of copies of this tool. Um, Much of it had been compiled previously, but I spent most of yesterday putting this together for us. It is a a shapes assessment tool. Um, It covers all six of the assessments. There's some teaching material in it, a little bit here and there as well. And there's a a compilation at the back where you record um, some of those assessments, how you're shaped. I would like to welcome you and encourage you to pick one of these up. It's not going to get done at one sitting. It's 44 pages. It's a book. It's a tool. It's a workbook to help us understand who God has shaped us to be and how we might better be effective for him to better understand how we might be able to serve him. I would encourage you, get a copy, take some time, carve out some time, use this. But simply completing the tool is probably only about 5% of the task. The rest of the task is sharing with others what you've learned, what's been identified, getting their input. What do they think? How do they, does that sound like me? and then beginning to experiment with those things you've understood. And the best way to do this is in a small group. That is the best way to implement shape experimenting, shape expression. In that group, with those people, in those lives, hospitality, teaching, um, caring, helps, all kinds of ways God has shaped us for service in his church and mission to the world. Let's pray. Papa, we want to live for you. You have called us to follow. And we have said, yes, Lord. But we get tripped up. We get tripped up in the world. We get tripped up by observing others. We get tripped up all on our own. And we miss the mark. We miss the opportunities for the assignments that you have set before us. But you're not done with us yet. You're always there, welcoming us to take your hand, to be led by you on this journey of life. Father, I welcome you to heighten our alertness and our awareness, yes, of our shape, but also of our assignments. That we would be those who listen to your voice, 
that seek you, that spend time with you to hear and know and understand your heart for us. Father, thank you for this spiritual family you have provided to help us grow up. Just as you provide the human family for the purpose of helping children to grow, to become mature and adults, so you have provided the local church to do the same. Lord, an infant left on their own to take care of themselves will perish. And so will we if we try and do this alone. Or at the very least, Lord, we'll be ineffective. So stir our hearts with your desires, our pa- your passions. Thank you for your abilities that you've given to us. Thank you for how you've shaped us and our personalities. We thank you for our experiences, as painful as many were. Might those pains, Lord, be used for good. And Lord, might you see us faithful. Might you give us opportunity to grow in our influence of others. And might we be alert, O God, to as well expressing a mission to those who don't yet know you. Lord, that too is in the role and the calling you have for us. That too is a part of your assignment. Father, send us out this week to be your ambassadors, to be your lovers of you and others. Teach us, Lord, what service is like as we look at Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. would like an opportunity this morning to uh, pray with any of you that would like Um, to see these areas developed, stretched, grown. Um, Many of them are things we can sort of humanly work on, but they're also supernaturally led and endowed. And they're things that can be trained by partnering with others. So I would encourage you to come on up to the front. If you would like to grow in these arenas, if you would like to see your life expressing the purpose, the assignments, the destiny that God has for you in a more significant way. We would love an opportunity to pray with you for that. Others of you may have come this morning with uh, needs, challenges, difficulties you're facing, and we would love an opportunity to pray with you as well. So I just welcome a couple of the folks, a few of the folks that would like to help and to pray and to partner. Come on up. And the rest of you, we thank you for being with us today. Might you... uh, experience God's grace this week, his empowerment. And we look forward to seeing you again next week. Don't forget to pick up the uh, workbook if you have interest to, to better understand this topic. Grace.